right back. Not a beautiful prayer and devotion to us, and I think that's probably all we need to say. <laughs> but she's asked me to come, so I will. I will be happy to share with you today. Um, I think that I'd like to begin with just just a very brief prayer for you. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do bow and worship before you, and we rise up and say, Blessed be your name. Uh, we are women who need you, who love you, who have been called into your family, and we are so blessed. Um, I pray that each of us, um, myself most of all, would understand how glorious you truly are, and how we can humble ourselves before you continually, and to seek you with all our hearts. And so might whatever words I have to say be completely, completely directed by your spirit, Lord. I thank you for each of these women, for being here this afternoon on this beautiful day, to coming inside and for us together to talk about who you are and how we can know you better and worship you more. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. From the 10th floor of building on the north side of Dallas, uh, I could see the skyline, these jagged shapes that form the tall buildings that are in downtown Dallas. And you've probably seen those, the geometric lines. It's very stark, actually, um, and dramatic. Uh, beyond those building tops, I could see nothing nothing but that architectural line in the sky. And I looked at it and it seemed like there was nothing beyond that horizon. It was the end of the world, there was nothing else. Now the irony of this beautiful view actually, even though it was stark, was that I was not on the 10th floor of a hotel room that was luxurious and peaceful. I was actually in a hotel, I mean, in a hospital bed um, with IVs in both arms. And as I looked at this view, uh, it just, I realized it was representing to me um, how much loss I have experienced in this past maybe year and a half. And I just began reflecting on all of those things that had been taken away, that I lost, or that were disappointments. And some were fairly serious and, and grievous to me, others less so, but still, you know, a small loss can be a feel good. And as I was sitting there waiting for the results of this dramatic CT scan that my doctor had forced me to come to the hospital to check out what was this large mass in my bone and what were they going to do about it? And I'm thinking, okay, I've already had enough trouble. 
I don't really need this one right now. Um, thinking that there was perhaps some really dramatic loss coming in the days ahead. And I sat there and I'm like, okay, so how do I respond to that? What do I think now? And I realized that it was no coincidence at all that in the month ahead of this experience, I had been studying in depth the book of Job. Uh, so, you know that God has a sense of humor, and <laughs> I'm like, all oh, right, I think I, I get the point. And I just began to sing to myself, Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the land the mark of suffering, blessed be the name of the Lord. We uh, can do that no matter whether we're, you know, in a small pit behind our house trying to clean up a, a mess or in a hospital room or wherever we are. When devastation struck Job and he lost absolutely everything, Job first responded in worship. But there was still more suffering to come. It wasn't over. And then Job had to face what has happened to me and asking God so many questions. And if you read through the book of Job, you know it just goes on and on, and his friends are miserable and not helpful to him. Uh, but he kept seeking God until God responded. He kept asking questions. God did respond, not with direct answers to the questions that Job proposed, but instead he provided this glorious knowledge of himself. He revealed himself, and it's recorded with these beautiful poetic descriptions of who God is and what he can do. And we come through the book of Job into the chapter, uh, chapter 38, and the main thrust, the main idea of that chapter was to fill Job with wonder wonder at all the intricate plans that God had made and how he had been guiding the whole universe, the whole complex cosmos. And Job finally began to see that he lacked understanding of who God was. And he stopped asking questions. And instead, he turned to God with humility, with wonder and with a heart of true worship. And he said, now my eyes have seen you. He suddenly had more understanding. Now none of us want to be Job, right? I don't see any volunteers out here. But the reality of this fallen world is it forces us to deal with loss to deal with suffering, and to learn how to live and honor God in the midst of it all. We can either be like Job, or we can turn away and reject God. We, like Job, need to learn who God is in a profound way. Job responded in worship, but what did worship really mean? That's really our question for today.
humbly worship God in a land that is marked with suffering. Do we really want to do that? And then, as Knox said, this, this is a, a practice of spiritual discipline. So what does that really mean? What does it look like? And is it possible to live a life of worship? Not just to worship, but to really live a life of worship. And that's the approach that I'm going to take with this. It's not just a, a one-time thing or maybe a daily thing, but that there's a comprehensive way that we can approach our life and dedicate ourselves to I'm not skilled at balancing things. So I'm going to this And stop that. Um, so just to restate what I said, a life of worship begins with knowing who God is. When we think about worship, we need to just briefly define that. And worship means that we are defining the value and worth of something. That's where that word comes from, the worth of something. So how do we do that? Well, we start weighing things out and deciding what's important, what's not important, what's worthy of our attention, right? Well, um, I thought about this. My granddaughter, Josie, is very entertaining. And she was sitting at the dinner table with me one night, and she said, Grandma, would you rather, and this apparently is a big game with her, would you rather this or that? So she said, would you rather eat broccoli or green beans? And I said, well, I think I would rather have green beans. What would you like? I would rather have broccoli. And she was enthusiastic, and that was true. So that went on to, would you rather be a whale or an elephant? Well, she knew. I would rather be a whale. She wanted to ask me that question. It's those values, those important ideas that we have in our minds, whether it's broccoli or green beans. Um, you make a choice, right? It's something important. Now, where you place your values, your the worth of something, those are constant decisions, constant choices that we make throughout the day. So would you rather do this or do that? What do you value? Now we're going to come back to that idea in a little bit, but just going on, let's let's talk more about worship. What is it? When is it? Where is it? And how is it? So I always like to use those words. Um, so what? What is it? Now we can have two different kinds of worship in a big category. We can have communal worship, where people worship together. And that's really the Old Testament way of worship. It's always intended to be in community with other believers. Um, but uh, we can also have then individual worship. And we're going to spend a little more time on that. Communal worship has a lots of different ways. We're in a lovely church here that's stained glass. We might be in a cathedral. You might have come to me, uh, come with me to Africa and worshiped in a hut that had no windows, uh, mud and concrete box in the floor, and uh, the wind blowing through the wooden side. It doesn't matter um, about that building or lack of building, actually. 
actually. But coming together in community is a wonderful way to worship. The individual worship is where we're going to focus because we want to know how we, as a person, can grow in our understanding of who God is, grow deeper in our knowledge, and to have that spiritual growth in our life. We use the word discipline, which makes a lot of us feel uncomfortable, but it is a word that really means to follow, to be trained, to grow, to be cultivated, nurtured in our understanding of whatever it is. So right now, I'm disciplining, in the sense of training, two little puppies, which is a big mistake to narrate two puppies at one time. Um, it takes a lot of work. And so for the spiritual disciplines, there's still that element of work involved, of dedication involved. But the spiritual discipline we're talking about, of knowing God better, responding to Him with praise and with worship, and a sense of wonder, a sense of thanksgiving, that's amazing and different. And so that comes to the next point of when do we worship? And here's where I'm going to deviate a little bit. Now, some of you have heard me say these things before, but when do we worship? We worship all the time. All the time. Uh, scripture tells us to pray without ceasing that we pray endlessly, that we meditate when? Day and night. Day and night. Um, there is ceaseless praise. Worship is not limited to a time or place. We do not have to be in this room to worship. You can worship anywhere. Uh, Jesus and John said that we are to worship in spirit and truth. He didn't say we had to go to Jerusalem, did he? That was part of the point. We worship in spirit and truth. So the when, or the time word, is important because we want to be with God. We want to spend time with God, but not in the sense that it has to be carved into little segments that are so easily identified. And I'm going to give you some opportunities to talk about that idea and how that can work later. But this discipline of being with God, of worshiping God, is endless. Jesus said, abide in me, abide in my love. It's to remain, to be constant, that we are to persevere in that. It has to be per it pervasive throughout our life. So we can worship God literally anywhere, anytime, and we're invited to do that. So next, we want to think about how we worship, and just briefly, there are no rules about how we worship. We don't have to have a hymnal. We can have a piece of paper to sing from, right, Jan? So she printed that off to help us. Uh, there's no rule about standing to worship. If you were with me in Russia and we went into an Orthodox church, you would stand all the time, unless they told you to kneel. But we don't have to kneel, we don't have to bow down, we don't have to 
fall face down. We don't have to be on a carpet. We don't have to be you know, doing any kind of particular motion. The how is more about the attitude. That's where the work is. That's the hard part. It's the attitude that we choose to have, an attitude of wonder, of seeking God with a sense of wonder. When we think of the word wonder, we want to have this idea, and you know what, this is pretty distracting. Um, there's a TV screen here, and so I get to see the stained glass, mm -hmm. and it's reflecting up there in a beautiful way. And so I'm wondering about the colors and the shapes. Someone made that, someone creative that wanted to express beauty. And the idea of wonder is recognizing that, that there is beauty everywhere in creation. And, and we acknowledge that God has shown himself in creation outdoors, indoors, even though there's man-made things, it's by his hand. He shows us himself in his word, which is a primary way we get to know him. And in our relationships. So we approach all of those things with an attitude of wonder. We act and we do everything to the glory of God because we have this attitude. We've chosen to glorify Him. And, and that's really another word for worship, is to give God glory. I, we don't always think of it that way. but. It is to express the value and worth of God. And it is essential that we have this attitude of wonder when we think about God, when we reflect on Him, because that will shape our attitude for everything else. Now thinking about the word wonder, what does that word really mean? And a definition from a dictionary says, a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected or unfamiliar or inexplicable. It could, what could be as mild as curiosity? I wonder what Jan has in that bottle over there. Or I wonder where you got that turquoise purse. <laughs> we can have wonder or curiosity about all these sort of lesser things, but it's more than that. Can you think of a synonym for wonder? Another word for wonder? Awe. Awe. Great. What else? Majesty. Majesty? That brings me to think of wonder. What else? Joy. Joy? It's that feeling again. And I think wonder has a lot to do with our emotions.
questions that we ask can express wonder. And then on a softer note, the contemplation that comes with meditation is a, a softer, lesser kind of wonder than the you know, sense of glory and majesty, but still it's a sensation that is important. We might even think about the word reverence, uh, which can use the word fear, and Actually, scripturally, most of the fears is about reverence rather than terror, to be terrified. God wants us to revere him. Um, and there is incorporated in that, that sense of, oh my, how can this be? Who is he? So I think the other word that I would use would be mystery that we don't know who God is. And we can't fully, absolutely, without any other bit of information, say that we know. We're finite, and he's infinite. So this sense of mystery is fundamental to all worship. Uh, so ask yourself about your sense of wonder about God. What does that look like? Would you, and you don't have to say this out loud, would you describe it as dusty? Dull around the edges? Bright? Glowing? Good way to evaluate where we are. When we hear this idea of wonder expressed in the words of Psalms and Scripture, it can help bring us to that point that's more glowing, more bright, more joyful, more reverential. Um, one of the songs that was also going through my head in that hospital room was, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Do you know that one? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pouring out your power and love as I sing holy, holy, holy. When we turn our minds, our thoughts to things like that, then our heart begins to feel that. Um, you know the other, another one, Oh Lord, you are beautiful. Your face is all I see. For when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. We often um, need help, need help of poets to guide us in this sense of wonder. David wrote one of my favorite scripture lines. From, it's in Psalm 27, and you'll remember this. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, for all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and to live in his temple. He says in Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand 
our pleasures forevermore. What else could we want? And then, as I said before, delight yourself in the Lord. That one simple, simple sentence can guide us through much, much strife and suffering. So the most important aspect of worship is not the what, the when, the how, it's really the who. It has to come back to who we are worshiping. God has revealed himself in his creation. He revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. And he has revealed himself in the written word, the Bible. And so we have to seek to know him. And we have this book, which we have been reading and studying to some extent. And there's more in it than what you can see. There's more in it than what you've read. And there will always be more to learn and understand. He invites us to come to know him. And we then, in turn, must seek to know him. Who is God? So we think of the attributes of God and the important part of studying scripture is all about two questions, Diane, and what are they? Who am I and who is God? And who, who is God? Who is God? Asking that question over and over and over again, we keep going back to that. The whole of God's word can be studied with those two questions, and that is where we begin to look for specific words. What are the attributes of God? Now you know some of them, so what are some attributes? What, think of two or three and give me a favorite one. Love. Grace. 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 Faithfulness. Steadfast. Steadfast. Merciful. That's pretty remarkable. 
However, there are some passages where you're going to go, no, um, I'm not really with this. So this past, I don't know, several weeks, I've been on this kind of routine, and I keep moving through books of the Bible, and I hear a new claim. Um, and I was in the book of Ezekiel. Anybody read that recently? <laughs> okay, so I'm thinking we need to talk about this. In Ezekiel 40, let's see where I am on my time. In Ezekiel 40, and I won't read all of this, but he says, Ezekiel's talking and watching this man in Jerusalem and this incredible thing he was doing, that God was taking him everywhere. Uh, then he measured the length and width of the north gate leading into the outer court, its alcoves, three on each side, its projecting walls. Its portico had the same measurements as those of the first gateway. It was 50 cubits long and 25 cubits wide. Its openings, its portico, and its palm tree decorations had the same measurements as those of the eight facing east. Seven steps led up to it with its portico opposite them. There was a gate into the inner court facing the north gate, just as there was on the east. He measured from one gate to the opposite. It was 100 cubits. Okay. Who is God? God of order. Intention. A God of order. A God of intention. Not arbitrary. Not arbitrary. Not arbitrary. Architect. Architect. <laughs> Architect of what? The whole entire cosmos, right? The designer. But when we read this, Chapter after chapter of cubits. <laughs> when do I get to go to the song? <laughs> so having this sense of wonder, okay, this must be important. It was recorded. And you know, someday I need to read these things. Uh, John gives us a little easier time. Uh, but even then, we start thinking, do I really understand this? In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he goes on, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Diane used the word incomprehensible a minute ago. Wow, what is in this tiny passage? If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and I believe all of you have, and we have that certainty, then Jesus is saying that we know him, we know the Father, and in a sense, we have seen him. He's telling his disciples, of course, to prepare them for the, the difficulty that's coming, but this, these passages apply to us, and yet we can't fully understand them. But we can say, okay, what, what do I know about God in this? What, what do we say about him? 
His approachability, excellent word. He invites us, he wants us, right? That's really key. You're not going to go up to someone who's going to shut the door in your face. Um, seeing these things and really embracing what the words have to say to us is really essential. But as we said, we have to look, accept the limits of our understanding and still go on and seek God with a sense of wonder. And that leads us to worship Him. Uh, one of the most incredible things about knowing who God is is understanding that He is God, one God, and three persons. And that is to me, the most wondrous mystery of all that we can't fully understand, but we know God in three persons, blessed Trinity. He exists in his glorious splendor, three persons together in perfect harmony, perfect harmony, loyal, loving, self-giving, friendship and fellowship. It's beautiful. Beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too far from our understanding. And yet he's inviting us into that fellowship. He's inviting us to see him, to be with him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three persons were active in creation. They're involved in the redemption. They're working together constantly in unity and setting a, an example for us. Uh, we know that God loved us. Jesus says this in John 3.16. That passage right there is all we need to know. John 3.16, for God so loved, us, loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, Jesus. So whoever believes in him, not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel message that we have to put our faith in. And it expresses God the Father, God the Son, and then Jesus, uh, as you, if you read on, he's talking about him expressing the words of God and that the Spirit is going to be given without limit. So the Holy Spirit is for us and is within us as believers. Do we believe it? Do we put our faith in Jesus Christ? Then we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to direct us. We can call on Him to enhance the sense of wonder and worship that is so pleasing to God, that we can really enjoy God. If you don't have that sense, then you are welcome to talk to me to any of the others because that is something we want you to have and to know that you can have and to continue to seek it. Our challenge is to live out the truth of God's word. There is a supernatural work going on as the Holy Spirit is within us and we can invite him to work in us and to pray for that we can see with awe and wonder the supremacy of Jesus Christ, who is the name above all names. I'm not referred to Philippians 2, 
um, when she was talking earlier, and that's exactly uh, the point. Our worship comes from understanding who Jesus is, who the Father is, who the Holy Spirit is. So, we come back to this idea of wonder. You know, maybe it's a little rusty right now. <laughs> maybe it needs some polishing. Uh, maybe you need to shine it up a little bit, choosing some words of delight and awe-struckness. When we hear these things about God, learn these things, read these things about God, it demands a response. We can't hear these things and walk away. God is holy, he's beautiful, he's gracious, he's good, and then, oh well, Beth just walked out the door. Doesn't really matter. We're going to run and capture her. <laughs> Bring her back. Our response to God is worship. That's what worship is, is when we are responding to him. And however we see him, however we know him, it can be tiny, tiny bits. Um, when I define worship, I have a fairly simple one, and I say worship means that I respond lovingly with my whole being to all that I know of God. And that, I believe, is on your handout. I word it that way because I want it to be expressive and more or less simple to understand that I'm going to respond, I'm going to respond lovingly with my whole heart, my whole being, to all that I know of God. Now, when I first wrote that sentence, that was years ago. And I meant it. But it's different than today. I know more of who God is now than I did then. And that should be true for all of us every day, really. So it's that idea that it's a personal response. And we must wholeheartedly consecrate, devote ourselves, give ourselves to finding that true understanding, worship of God. Um, now, I want to look at this from a little more of a personal perspective. Well, your personal perspective, actually. <laughs> um, When we think about scripture, when we think about worship, um, it's very clear that there are phrases, there are passages that call us to worship. So you may be familiar, and if you have your Bible moment to turn, there's Psalm 100. Um, I can read that for you. It says, uh, Psalm for giving grateful praise. My family has used this at Thanksgiving for years. The children memorized it. We have a calligraphy piece I did, and every year we pray this at Thanksgiving um, when we're together. But it's about worship and doing it with joy. It says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. 
Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. You know, if we had one passage to hang on to in the worst times, that would be a wonderful one, right? So how can we do this more often? Because I'm thinking that you do not have a plan for a retreat, a personal spiritual retreat to worship God every day for the next month. I'm thinking I'm right. Yeah. Okay. So do you have a plan for the next month for every six hours of every day? No. You have a plan for session if I work done, I've got meals to fix, I've got a really dusty house. It's bad. Um, all of these domestic things. We have Christmas. You haven't even started yet, puppy. That's right. Okay. Um, the practical life. How do we manage this and worship? And then there's the two puppies. <laughs> so, what responsibilities do you have facing you this afternoon? You've got to come here for a couple hours, but you're going home to something else. What do we do? when we are faced with those and when we're actively doing them. Uh, think now of the responsibilities that you have, just think of a few, uh, and think of the ones you like the least, the ones that stress you out. Homework, I don't know. <laughs> Did I hit one over there? <laughs> Kitchen, bathroom. those things. So now, and I, I'd love to make you all answer, but I'm not going to. Um, listen to this. First Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Now there's a whole context to that as Paul taught the Corinthian church, and they were real mess, in a real messy place. But down to the bottom of it, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So I'm guessing you all brushed your teeth this morning. certain household chores and we kept developing the skill level 
And, you know, cleaning the toilet was not my son's idea of a good time. But when we put it into these words, we give glory to God in whatever we do, uh, it becomes a whole new thing. And we can apply it anywhere. It is the spiritual discipline of worship. You do not have to come here today to talk about worship. You can do it anywhere. That's how we live a life of worship. Whether it's at home with our families, it's at work in some crazy situation and whatever office you're in, wherever you are, doing dishes, cleaning, or walking, or wherever you are. And I, I guess we come back to that game you can play, would you rather? Okay, so would you rather just think about the chore of the smelly trash you have to carry out and box up and do all this, or even think about the majesty and marvel of God who's given you the opportunity to have a home and he's provided and, right? Would you rather spend all this time with endless worry and anxiety <coughs> thinking about completing the project you have to do at work or, you know, scraping the paint off your walls? You can worry, 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 worry about those things. We are obsessed with these things. We're not obsessed with God. Now I'm starting to preach. It's going to happen. Amen. <laughs> um, we can turn our thoughts to Him. We can take those little passages, sing that song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I don't want to see this trash. I will do it as an act of responsibility and reverence. And I will give you glory. And I will do it correctly. Um, but. If we don't choose that attitude, we're obsessed with the junk, the trash. We can choose to make every moment holy. There's actually a little devotional book called Every Moment Holy, which I had to get because I love that phrase. But we can make those choices. So that is the daily, moment-by-moment -moment life. And it doesn't matter whether you are worshiping God in the shower because you have no other time. You're responsible for other people, for other things, wherever it is. And I, I, that has made me survive a lot of things. But we also need um, are some specific things in our life that help us identify those moments so that we don't get lost in the mess. And that's the other thing I wanted you to think about, is what could call you to daily worship, to ongoing worship in your life? What can you see, what can you identify, plan to recognize that will help you? This is part of the discipline. So, one of the things for me is creation. So what do you enjoy in creation? I don't know what you can see when you look out your window. Is there a tree? Yes. 
the grocery store where they have the flowers, you don't even have to buy them. You can look at them. Don't steal them, but just look at them. We can find things where, did you know that now that the moon has gone through its full phase and it's diminishing, it's, well, yeah, it should be this way. It's in the western sky, high. The sky the last two mornings was incredibly blue and the moon incredibly white and gorgeous when I was out at seven in the morning potting my bodies. Um, <laughs> there's no resentment there. But that is magical if we see it and we exalt the Lord for his creation. So look for those things. We may not be by a magnificent seashore, but we can find the beauty everywhere. Uh, Another thing to look for would be then the scripture passages. What are some of your favorite passages? You know them, but you may be so focused on scripture memory just to memorize it that you are not embracing the beauty of those passages and keeping those uh, shout to the joy all over the earth. Praise his name. Those things, um, have those ready that they can be present with you when you're hitting the bottom of the day, which is probably about uh, 5.30 for me. Um, those will inspire worship. You need those things to spark your joy to steal a phrase from an author about something else. And then, of course, the hymns. Which, which are your favorite ones? Uh, you we can go all around the circle and in fact, let's do. Does someone have a favorite hymn that inspires worship for you? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. How Great Thou Art. How Great Thou Art. Fairest Lord Jesus. How Fairest Lord Jesus, yes. Be Thou My Vision. Be Thou My Vision. That's a pretty cool one. Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness. We can, you know, go on and on about praise, turning our eyes devotional materials. Uh, not that I were talking about the idea of Advent. I loved Advent every year because it does help me prepare for Christmas in a very spiritual way. Uh, Bonhoeffer uh, did not write an Advent devotional, but somebody compiled one from his writings, and it's very, very moving. Uh, it's called God in the Manger, I think. But there are many others. Christmas Tides, uh, one that was taken from the Book of Common Prayer, which is it's very organized and it's quite a process to work through. But finding those simple ways of, of doing that at Advent or Easter or throughout the year. And then there are those moments of gratitude. We can always find things of Thanksgiving. And that gratitude inspires more awe and wonder. So worship includes Thanksgiving. It's not all about Thanksgiving, but gratitude is a very important element and can really inspire awe in us. The thoughts of worship are not to be disconnected from reality. 
And that's what I wanted to stress with you today. As women who have studied the Bible, who are maturing their faith, it's this where we have to get into the tiny moments of our day, where as exhausted as we are, as discouraged as we may be, as disappointed as we may be, we can find these points, these external points that remind us, okay, God is there, he is good, God is with me, God is good. He has a perfect plan for my life. Why? Because he's perfect. He's not going to have an imperfect plan. It may look a little scary, but it's still perfect. And we can see God at work in our lives if we're watching for it. Do you ever have those things where you think of something and God just, he impressed a word on you or something? And um, when I was preparing to teach Job, which I couldn't teach after all because I was not well, but everything these most random things happened to me that brought up Job. I saw something on TV and this woman was quoting Job. She wasn't a believer, I could tell that. Somehow she knew words from the first chapter of Job. That's, I don't know, there's just these little moments of, some people call it epiphany, where God is, is just, boom, there's another point, there's another point, direct, direct, boom. When we see those, we see them because we're watching, we're listening, and we're listening carefully to what God's doing. Those are amazing moments of all God is, is speaking. It's not like some you know, mystical message, but still, he knows us, loves us, and wants to be with us in a very real, practical way. Now, all of those things I said are, are pretty reasonable. But if you start applying that to our relationships, then we move into a whole other field. Because everyone has a wonderful relationship with everyone else. And just the daily life of who's going to take on this responsibility, who's going to do that, oh, there's a disagreement, a conflict. How do we deal with all of those things? in a way that's honoring, glorifying to God. And so I think the realm of relationships is the hardest place to have a life of worship. It reveals a lot. How patient is Janice? <laughs> she prays for it. She wants to be patient. Let's put her in the car behind someone drive well, and she's not patient. Paul in Philippians 2 tells us that we are to have humility, and we're to think of others before we think of ourselves. Their interests first, our interests second, um, which is okay, I suppose. Um, but then he goes on, when you think of these other people, have the same mindset, the same attitude as Christ, which is hard for us to do. It's a nice idea, but when we read then the rest of Philippians 2, which is amazing, 
And that prayer in there, which you're probably familiar with, is glorious. It really tells us what Christ did, that though being equal with God, he humbled himself and took on the form of a man. And, you know, he ends with the death on the cross. His attitude of humility was astounding, right? And he did that for other people, not for himself. He did that for us. And then God exalted him to the highest place. And I'm running through that quickly, but he gave him the name that is above all names. And that name is Lord. That means I am. That's identifying him as God, equal with God the Father. This whole, he sacrificed himself in the most extraordinary, self-giving love. And that is the way we are to glorify and honor God. To worship God is that self-giving love. And that is really, really hard in this chaotic world full of unbelievers and then full of believers who act like unbelievers. Um, that's our reality. And yet that is the way we are called to live a life of worship. Uh, uh, we've been thinking about all these ways uh, that we can apply the daily worship to our lives. And I mean, those sound kind of manageable for our spiritual discipline, but it can be hard to believe that we can really do that and live well, enjoy God's beauty. Um, but He calls us to it. So every thought, every word, every action we take is to be one of worship. And yet, I have to come back to that one thing of what about the times of suffering? It's one thing to suffer in a dirty kitchen because it's not clean. It's another thing to suffer when there's enormous loss, enormous illness, when there's death. And that is where we have to be so firmly founded in what we know of who God is that, that ultimately we will not be knocked off course. We may be shaken a little bit, but we can believe that God step by step can lead us along this death valley trail and that he ultimately will be glorified. When I was in this hospital, you know, I've had this long history of health problems. And then there's this urgent stay, um, which you know, was, had them all excited. But thankfully, it turned out just to be bacterial pneumonia. So that was cool. Um, <laughs> I began to think, you know, I've had enough of these things. And, and yet, I could still turn my heart back to the Lord and worship. You will take me through this. Yes, it may be the end, but it's okay. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Uh, when it comes to our family members and their suffering, that's horribly painful. And yet, God has a 
comes down to our attitude, are we going to trust him? Are we going to take on that attitude, even an attitude of joy and wonder? Um, we can do that. Christ made himself nothing and humbled himself for us so that one day we will be with him and we will understand more than we understand now. The loss of any kind at all, whether it's physical, mental, emotional things, is hard. It's up and it's loss. Suffering is pain. And pain is real. We can't deny that. It's physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain. So eventually we turn back to something like the example of Job. And we can simply fall to the ground and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. We don't have to feel it. We have to know it. We have to push it. That's where everything starts. And then we choose to say, blessed be the name. Job's suffering led him into a greater, more profound understanding of who God is. He was a godly man, the most godly man on the planet. But he didn't know everything. He understood more, eventually, of God's purposes and his power. But still, it was beyond full comprehension for Job. He said, these things are too wonderful for me to know. And here comes to Job thought he knew God, but he knew little. And he repented of his pride as he realized the truth of God's magnificence. It was so glorious. And that's where we are. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. You may be familiar with John Piper. He has some great things to say about it. And his comment about suffering is that that is, is more true in suffering than any other time, is that God can be more glorified in us when we are still satisfied in Him in a time of suffering. We can pursue joy through suffering, and we can magnify Almighty God, the God of beauty and order and love. He is our source of joy, and so He is the light at the end of the dark tunnel. He is the one that leads on the path of suffering, tiny bit by tiny bit. He gives us a well-lit path to walk on even in the valley of death. The purpose of worship is to glorify God and to change us. That's why we talk about it as a spiritual discipline. That's why it takes work and effort. Because the discipline, as I said before, really means to train. It means to grow, to cause change, to cultivate, to nurture. And it's to nurture our awareness and deepen our understanding of who God is. So a life of worship is going to be revealed by our godly, Christ-like character. And that's the result of faithful, disciplined worship. 
that we do with an attitude of wonder. In Romans 12, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, because of the mercies of God, I exhort you to present yourselves as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing, which is your true, understanding, wholehearted worship and service. Our lives, whatever we do, however we serve, whatever we say, all of that is intended to be worshipful. And the way we do that, he says in verse 2 of 12, is to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. <coughs> and then we can test and approve the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. But that renewing is what is happening in this discipline of worship. And that is how we live a life of worship. Our purpose is to enjoy God and to be bring him glory. So I would encourage you to keep thinking about that. Think of some simple words, some simple symbol that help you recall the idea of a joyful worship. You know, maybe it's a toothbrush. Maybe <laughs> that's a reminder of I can worship God anytime, anywhere. I don't know what it will be for you. Maybe it's a picture of a songbird. I don't know. But I would encourage you to just have these things fixed in your mind, to pull them into your, into your thinking when things get unpleasant. Um, I think we have a handout, and I think we're just about out of time. But all I really wanted for that was you to have a couple of definitions, and then if you need notes. but. I would love for you to write a personal prayer of commitment, and you could do this later, that you commit to God to seek a life of worship. And that you write it and commit it to yourself. This is from me. This is what I'm going to do. And then perhaps you put someone else's name on there too.
the highest. 